I have an opening spiel that I actually wrote out this time. So okay, it's going to sound a little professional. Okay, let's do it. Right. <clears throat> of course, I brought no water Did with you? me, so I'm just going <laughs> to die in my own spit over here. I can't save you, so we just got to make it work. You know CPR? Yes, I'm waiting I can to... do that. I got you. I got you. Good. Welcome to Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimler. I'm Jamil Brooks. And we're coming to you from Greenwood, South Carolina, a little red county in a very red state. Yes. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating, tell your friends, or write a check for $100,000 made out to save the Democrats in South Carolina, please. You can always drop us a note at black white blue in the south at gmail.com that email address is in our show notes so please do take a look as you listen to our ramblings today yeah how you doing jamel i'm well how are you super fantastic a lot of tired though <laughs> i spent the past week in new jersey at my mother's house oh wow okay. so um you know i'm an old man you know that <laughs> And, and, and as an old man, I'm taking care of my even older mother. Aww. We live in a world where the old take care of the even older. Yeah. So she's got this big old house that she just made her last payment on awesome. this past week. Congrats, Mom. So she is a homeowner, and now she wants to get rid of the home because it's just too big for her. Okay. So I spent time in her attic, her yard, her shed, all her, you know, wow. everything under the sun. There were parts of the house she had never even seen since she moved in. Oh my goodness. She has this side room where she put all of her equipment, so to speak, and shelving units and so on. We took all that down and there was a wall full of bumper stickers. Oh, Bumper cool. stickers that were there from before she moved in over 20 years ago. Did you take a picture of that? I did. Okay, great. So one of the pictures is a bumper sticker that says, Nixon suffers from a staph infection. <laughs> I had to look at that and go, oh my gosh, that is some old-timey politics yeah. right there. So what were you doing that got you so tired? Oh, wow. It's been a concert weekend. Yeah, you relive in your youth, you forget your um, age. You know what? But I was reminded, so now I know how to adjust. <laughs> <laughs> that is, um, yeah, we're done with that. But I had a great time, though. But it's definitely a one and done to run back-to-back concert. Back-to-back. Back-to-back. Partying like it was 1999. And I forgot that it wasn't. <laughs> I saw some of the video clips that you had shared online, yeah. and it looked like you had seats that were somewhere in, you know, up in my area, New Jersey. <laughs> I don't know where you were. Okay, so here's the thing for me. I do not like sitting on the floor in a concert because you have to look up. But if I can sit midway on the upper sections, I prefer that. I know most people don't, but I just don't like sitting on the floor. Right. for those concerts. So uh, when this one came, our goal was to make sure that we were high but not too high so that we can look down on the floor and actually see the performance. High from a vertical standpoint. That is correct. Okay, just the to only make sure way. we're clear. The only way. Yeah, let's make that clear. <laughs> well, before we get into our show, I want to give a big thank you to our friends at the All About Nothing podcast. Yes. Uh, we want to thank Barrett Gruber and Zach King thank for you. coming down to Greenwood last Saturday. They spent some time with us at the Greenwood County Democratic Party breakfast meeting, and we recorded a live podcast with them in front of everybody staring at us, so it was no pressure <laughs> <We> whatsoever. <did. laughs> have you had a chance to hear or see that recording yet? Yes, I have. And I, you know what's always funny to me? One, 
it's the hearing my voice, but then two, you're going to add the actual visual. But I thought it was great. I thought the chemistry was great. The atmosphere was cool. So I was excited to see it. It was great to have Michelle Brandt there, yes. third vice chair of the and South Carolina Democratic And she blended Democratic in so well. Party. She was ready for the podcast. Oh, yeah. Great job with that. And then I learned that because you and Michelle sat next to me, I got firsthand observations <laughs> at what kind of nerds you were. She was into Dungeons and Dragons, and, and you're into Lord of the Rings. Love the Lord of the Rings, yes. We are going to have to have a Lord of the Rings-themed episode one of we these should. days. We'll talk about the politics oh of Lord goodness. of the Rings. Okay, that's it. That's what we're going to do. Is that we're going to do it one day? I got so excited just then. <laughs> Let me contain it. <laughs> yes. All right. Let us move over and let's talk about the news. Okay, let's do that. For up to the minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now the news. All right, Bill, let's talk about the recent passing of the state senator, John L. Scott Jr., who served the constituents in Richland County for a decade. Um, that was some, I guess, the shocking of his passing was maybe not as expected. And so we just want to extend our condolences to the family to lose such a advocate for Richland County Democrats. I read he had 30 years of service to yes, the state. Yes, yes. Doing various roles. And he was just honored at the Anderson Democrats Gala. You know, I've been on this project for the past couple of months. I think I shared this with you where I am actually watching every video, at least as many as I can, of all of the South Carolina Senate and House proceedings that are recorded and available on their website. Okay. And I've actually gotten to know these senators and representatives by face and voice because they get up and speak and then their name flashes. I haven't seen too much of Senator Scott, but the few that I did, it was him introducing distinguished guests, visitors. Yes. You know, just like yourself, as a matter of fact, you were at the state house. You know, I thought that was a Yes, yes. So we got recognized. Yeah. So he was part of that contingent that, that recognized you up in the balcony and, yeah. and other sessions. He recognized people individually. and He just seemed like such an affable individual. And I'm going to read you, I'm pulling this from News 19's article that they recently posted. A hardworking advocate for his constituents in Richland County and the people of South Carolina, Senator Scott's unwavering commitment to public service has left a memorable mark on South Carolina's legislature landscape. And this is a direct quote from the South Carolina Senate Democratic Caucus. That's powerful. Did you see the photograph that hit the social medias today where they've draped a, um, a black wow. blanket across his desk? at the Senate. And can yeah. you just imagine, I mean, they're not in session at the moment, but can you imagine when they come back and there's that reminder, that empty hole, that hole. where their comrade used to be? Imagine if you were a Senator Scott's desk mate, you know, you sat next to him all That's these That's a difficult, I mean, just to even envision that, that's difficult to have to return there after 30 years of service. Yeah. seems like the good ones truly go in before their time. And So just know that um, we are sending our condolences to family, friends, and members of the Senate that served alongside him, and even his constituents, because I'm quite certain that they developed a bond Indeed. as well. Indeed. I know the procedure at this point is that the president of the Senate, uh, Senator Tom Alexander, is going to make an announcement to call for an election, a special yes. election to fill that spot. Correct. 
And so we do hope that good people will step up yes. to honor everything that Senator Jonathan Continue Scott has done started. for us and, and carry on his legacy and, and have many years of service to our state. Yes. I just saw another quote that came from State Representative Kimbrell Garvin, and it says, a giant tree has fallen. Mm. Words like that to describe someone. That's legacy. Like, I'm just a weed at this point. Yeah, right? I, I want to grow into a giant exactly. tree. Like, I can, that was, is what I would envision our work looking like years from now. So the Senate, you know, was already a very heavily majority Republican Correct. Senate. They are now down to Democratic senators. Yes. You've had the, the recent passing of Senator Scott, the tragic passing, and then you had a retirement, not a retirement, he moved on to accept a position in the Biden administration. Yes. And Senator Marlon Kimson. Yes. So with those two seats absent, now there's already a special election underway for Senator Kimson's seat. But again, they're not in session right now. But just to be down to um, those seats do need to be filled and filled. Seats that we cannot afford to lose. Staying with local South Carolina politics, South Carolina House Speaker Merle Smith. Did you know that name? I don't. All right. So he's the head honcho in the South Carolina State House. Okay. He formally endorsed former President Donald Trump last week. That's why I don't know that name. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going. Uh, Donald Trump, as you know, came to South Carolina last weekend, spoke at the GOP fundraiser. I think they called that the Silver Elephant. Yes, At this event, Donald Trump spoke in his typical rambling fashion. He (laughs) bashed electric vehicles, completely unaware of how much of South Carolina's economy has pivoted towards electronic vehicle manufacturing, battery making, recycling. We can point out the Scout VW Motors plant, billions of dollars of investment going to that plant. Completely disconnected. So he, he was slamming basically where South Carolina's economy is heading. And nobody tapped him on his shoulder to say, hey. <laughs> no, no. Nobody's going to say wrong. anything. They just stand up and applaud. <laughs> um, what I thought was interesting is not his endorsement. Okay. But did you know that our local representatives, Representative John McCravey okay. and Senator Billy Garrett, both have endorsed not Donald Trump? Who? Enlighten me. You want to take a guess? It's definitely not Tim Scott. They have both endorsed Tim Scott. Oh, oh no. Somebody check that. Oh my goodness. Tim Scott came out with a list of all of his South Carolina endorsees and Senator Billy Garrett and Representative John McCravey were both on there. Now, it's interesting because McCravey shared a Facebook post not too long ago okay. where it was praising Trump's visit to Pickens, South Carolina back in July. And Billy Garrett's website at this very day still says, pro-God, pro-jobs, pro-life, pro-Trump. So I ask you this, why have they not publicly come out for Tim Scott? Why are they keeping that on the down low and still holding on to their Trump love? And I said, I know that they did not endorse Tim Scott. So when you finished up and said that they did, that automatically makes me think that this is a strategy. Now, what the strategy is and what we're trying to accomplish here, I'm not quite certain. They may publicly endorse him, But here's the thing. They have not publicly endorsed him. They may have told Tim Scott we endorsed you and he put them down. He probably should not have because I don't know if Tim Scott knows this or not, but I haven't seen either of the two gentlemen you mentioned align themselves with something that would benefit him or or people in his family. 
So maybe he should hold tight on getting that. I heard another thing Tim Scott said that he would finish Trump's wall. So maybe that's what made them say, <laughs> let's endorse him. He's going to be down there with his bricks and mortar yeah, he's and go build the wall. it himself yeah. out of Lego blocks. Tim. But I, I actually think that they are probably scared of blowback from their constituents. So they're keeping this on the down low. Yeah. If they came out and publicly said, we support Tim Scott over Donald J. Trump, do you think the people, the Republicans in Greenwood, would accept that? I think there's a very large I, I majority of them yeah, who would. That would not accept it. That's right. I think it's a large group that wouldn't. But if, I mean, if you're looking at who the Republicans have running, who do you have? Too many of them. That's what you have. I mean, you don't even have someone that you could really have go against Trump and actually make it. No. No, this is going to be a very interesting election. Very you know, interesting. He is going to be campaigning while going through all sorts of, of lawsuits. And it's funny to hear yeah. the Republican leaders dismiss these indictments. And when they do so, they completely get it wrong as to what he's indicted <laughs> for. They basically try to divert their people into thinking the wrong thing because if these people actually saw what these indictments were about, it's about See, breaking the law. But you said it right there, and this is where we fall short as a society. You said if the people actually saw what the indictments were about, the people aren't seeing. They're not looking. They're listening to individuals such as those that are supporting Trump and using that. Let's talk about the Supreme Court. This article is entitled, and this came from CNN Politics. This one I thought would be really interesting because of a side story that came from it. This is why it's difficult to rein in the Supreme Court. So I'm going to try to pronounce this justice's name, and it may be Alto. Alito. Alito. Okay. Alito, there was another article that came out that said Alito gives Congress the middle finger. Well, here's the thing. Who governs the Supreme Court? And it's a tricky line between can the legislative branch actually enforce and penalize the justices? And Alito's stance was you can't. The Constitution does not give anyone the right to reprimand us. And I'm paraphrasing. Now, there's been different dialogue going back and forth as to that not necessarily being a true fact. But it does bring to the forefront that we should consider who is actually monitoring the actions of the justices. So and you know that back in our Democratic Party breakfast meetings for the last two months, yes. we've had dedicated sessions about yes. the problems at the Supreme Court. And there are certain members who do believe that they are above any oversight. Yes. Every other judge in this nation below the Supreme Court. Has ethics. Has a code of ethics. That's right. Except the Supreme Court. Except the Supreme Court. And even some members of the Supreme Court, Justice Elaine Kagan, came out and said, yep, we should have some oversight. We should. But there are some that doesn't. And so we, we would already know. You have your conservatives that are saying, hey, we're fine just the way we are. We don't need any other uh, rules to govern us. But when we're looking at the things that they're asking for, they're asking for a simple code of ethics for the justices. What I'm wondering is how is it that everyone else beneath them should have ethics and guidelines, but they cannot? That's a dangerous line to walk. But I do know it would have to take a special group to govern them because you wouldn't want the legislative group governing them. Maybe a different group could be de designed. But because there is no ethical 
code. What you have is <laughs> real estate being sold, declines for appeals, and later on finding out that you've accepted something from the company who is wanting you to decline it appeals, luxury travels, not disclosing gifts, millions in real estates, and there's no one checking to see who's doing what they should be doing. Well, and it's is. a lifetime commitment. It's a, it's a journalistic organization called ProPublica that's doing all of this ethics and review. And that is who wrote this. That's right. So that's coming right from them. But enforcing it. Once this comes out, who is pursuing anything to penalize so said justices? There's one line of thought that says the legislation's oversight is there because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are appointing and electing these justices. Correct. The problem, though, is that these are lifetime appointments. Yes. There's no mandatory retirement age. There's no term limit where you appoint the next judge. Yep. And I think, you know, I, I know there's a lot of debate about do you expand the courts, but I, I think at the very basic, I think a term limit as opposed to a lifetime appointment is the way to go. I think so. 18 years has been floated around, has been put forth as a legislative proposal. I think 18 years is a long time. 18 years is enough. And it should be enough. And once you've reached your 18th year, then then you're out. Yeah. The problem we have is that for all the things Trump goofed up, he did get very lucky in having three Supreme Court he appointees. He stacked that baby the, the right way for him. There was no talent on this part. You know, one died, another another uh, retired suddenly, and another was held up by Mitch McConnell. Yeah. So he lucked his way into three appointments. And they, to their credit, they nominated people in their, like, I think they were in their teens, mm. right? Isn't that, yeah. They're very young. Yeah. And for lifetime appointments means that they're likely to outlive me. Yes. And that's that's just crazy. That's scary, especially if they don't adapt to the changes that come because they're so far removed. They interviewed a certain individual, and one of the things I just want to point out this one thing: they said that the problem is their conduct at sometimes is worse than other government officials. How can you expect constituents to follow guidelines, but you don't, and you get rewarded for not following guidelines because your job is a lifetime commitment to continue to do wrong, and no one governs that or checks you. Again, looking at the national level, here's a headline I want us to dive into. Okay. Republican states are benefiting most from Democratic investments. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let's go with that one. All right. Can you believe that? This goes back to the Inflation Reduction Act. Okay. Passed exactly one year ago at the time of this recording. Oh, wow. So it's been in place for a year, and it was a very large spending omnibus I love that word, omnibus. I can tell. Feels like a, a German <laughs> beat band, you know. Got really excited we with omnibus. that. <laughs> but they passed a lot of spending. A lot of it was in climate and clean energy uh, investments. Here's the, the quote right from the beginning of this article. More than 200 clean energy projects across 38 states have been announced since the Investment Reduction Act passage. Over 60% benefit traditionally conservative Republican areas. Wow. 60%. So I thought this was very interesting that here we have Democratic Senate and passed this bill. Uh, You have a Democratic president going around the country touting it. And he's been going to red states to announce these investments. Wow. Why strategy or wasted time? I think wise. One thought is that 
as people start to see their local economy benefit and the places where these investments are happening have been in traditionally neglected rural areas. That's major. And so if these people are seeing job growth, wage growth, business growth, their stance against Biden. Correct. Will change. Will soften a bit. Yeah. So now, they'll hear it and then they see it. It's funny. This article went into a deep dive into various areas of the country. Okay. In Michigan... They quoted a Republican supervisor for a township, which is a uh, small rural community north of Grand Rapids, said he's received several death threats over a planned two and a quarter billion dollar battery component manufacturing facility in his area. Wow. Receiving death threats. This is how rabid people are that you get this new plant opening up and you're receiving death threats. I think that's a great descriptor, the adjective rabid. Why is he receiving death threats? Because there were rumors going around that this is a Chinese manufacturing plant. Oh, my goodness. And the Republican Party have worked themselves so much into a anti-Chinese fervor that they're out there picketing in front of Chinese restaurants. I'm exaggerating for effect. But yet again, you're confirming they aren't reading. This is what they've heard. The rumors have started, and it didn't take but one to plant that bad seed, and they run with it. That's right. Here's another one. In Oklahoma, a gentleman who is a self-declared Trump fan was ecstatic when an Italian company announced plans to spend more than a billion dollars, the largest private investment in Oklahoma's history, to build a solar cell and panel manufacturing facility. Okay. He was ecstatic. But when told by a reporter that this company plans to take advantage of tax credits included in Biden's climate law, he abruptly changed his tune. (laughs) I don't support it now, he said. The federal government doesn't need to get involved. Holy cow. And if you didn't know that just about every business that comes into an area receives some sort of credit, whether it's federal, whether it's local or county or state, companies are incentivized to move in. But when you hear it's Biden doing the incentivizing, now he's against it. We're against that. The logic is just gone. But you know, that makes you think that if that is the mentality where you will reject it because of who's bringing something that could benefit your entire town... You're the reason that your town is stuck and going without resources or access to resources that you could have because of that mind of thought. That's scary. It is. But I will tell you what, hats off to the Biden administration for being party blind when it comes to investing. I like it that they went around and found the places most in need of investment, that they're doing so in clean energy, boosting economies, building jobs, building skills and careers in the process, no matter how they vote. I don't think a Trump administration thinks along those lines. Oh, no. No, I don't think so. Superpower. 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 Okay, Bill, so we're always thinking of things that we want to share with the public and get your insight, my insight. So here's our question for this week. What superpower do you think a person in politics should possess that will benefit the constituents the most? A superpower. A superpower. And get creative. You can combine it. Is not being a jerk a superpower? I mean, could you have a superhero (laughs) named Nice Man or Pleasant Woman and that would be a superpower? Because that's all I really want. I like Pleasant Woman. (laughs) 
That's all I really want. It has become so appalling yeah. how much of, and I, I'm keeping this clean for the air. I know. How much of a jerk some of our politicians are. Yeah. And if we can just remove that and just get, you know, disagree on policy, that would make the political experience so much more palatable to the general voting public. I agree. If they could see that, then we could probably increase the amount of people that are even concerned about voting showing up at the polls, if we could be nice. Now, again, you said superpower. So everything I think about is not a superpower, but just a characteristic of a decent human being. Okay, those are gone. Um, Like, for example, another superpower, open-mindedness. Yeah, that's gone. The ability to change your mind based upon updated information or perspectives or facts that you had not known before. Keyword, there are several in your statement. And I like the fact that you said the ability, which is major. I think that could be a superpower that some of them have an ability. But also to say once you receive updated information, that is an issue. And I think that's a part that makes your superpower like so much better. What's a superpower you had in mind? Huh, I combined two. I wanted relevancy and integrity. And this is because I think what happens is it kind of leads in from yours. After serving for so long, you might become disconnected from what your constituents really want. So when have you reached back to see what they want and it not be a quiet reach, but a really loud reach that says, hey, these are the things that we're looking at. Let me hear your thoughts. What's an example of a loud reach? A loud reach would be, I love town halls. So a loud reach with me would be, I am a senator or representative, and there are some things that are coming up on the floor of the House and the Senate, and I know how I want to vote, but maybe I should check in with my constituents. Now, you and I recently attended a town hall at the invite of the McCormick County Democratic Party. And it was well done. They held an, uh, a county council. It wasn't a formal county council. It wasn't. Meeting. It was more like um, an informal. Yeah, what the community, if they had questions or what they need. Dialogue for their for their leaders. Yes. You got up and spoke. Well, I'm always going to get up. and Knocked speak. me out of my seat. By the way, <laughs> I was there to offer you support, but you, you don't need my support. You just, <laughs> you just really. got up and commanded the room. <laughs> You talked about how you spoke at a high school recently. Yeah, listen, if it is anything that is going to jeopardize people, I'm speaking. But yeah, so I had the opportunity to go in and with a group of people and visit a high school just to talk uh, about what does voting look like from a high school level? Because there's a disconnect. You graduate high school and then you're on to college or work. Did anybody remind you that there's this really powerful thing that you can do called voting? And if not, That's what we're here for. And that conversation with the students at that particular high school just blew my mind. They were disconnected upon us entering. But once we were done, they said, hey, I think this might be all right. I think I could actually want to vote now. So it's just about bringing those conversations to them. That's awesome. You know, if I had a superpower going into the mystical, magical at this point, let's say that I had the power where I was one wish man. Okay. Meaning I was given one wish. Yes. Politically speaking. If I could snap my fingers, it would be 100% citizen engagement in the political process. That's a good one. I would snap my fingers. Just think about how much time we have to spend to educate, motivate, incentivize, knock on doors, engage. Now, we should always be engaging and talking. Yeah. But we spend too much time convincing people to even participate. If we could take that time of convincing people to show up 
and turn it into convincing people why a certain point of view or policy is optimal or hearing yes. what they think it should be. That would be so much more productive. But right now, we're just trying to drag people out the Listen, door. Listen, I thought about even turning myself into like the census girl where I could run around and get everybody to actually complete the census Oof. so we would know what resources that we need in our towns instead of people thinking run from it because it's going to hurt you. Fill out the form so we'll know what resources and how many we need so that we can better equip our citizens here. Do you feel that we ought to have a mandatory voting law in this country? I don't think you should. I, I mean, when we go mandatory, I fall back to it is a democracy. So you have the choice to use your right or to not use your right. There are some things you don't have a choice in, like jury duty. When you were called to serve, you have to serve. It's not a choice. It is not. Um, so what if voting It might be a delayed like choice. It could be a delayed choice. There are some countries that have implemented mandatory voting in the form of a $20 or some nominal small fee that you have to pay if you don't vote. But so here's here's where I go with that. I would prefer an educated or an aware voter. And what I mean by that is not the level of your education, but at least that you're going into the ballot box and you are aware of the issues you've been informed and you're not just checking. Because a person who doesn't know can do more damage than a person who does know. Okay, so now your superpower is fantasy thinking. So it is. I'm sorry. I can help it. I can help it. I got carried away. We live in a state where you have straight ticket voting. You do. If you do that, then why do you need to know the issues? Listen, did you notice I said you do? I live here too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm not a fan of the straight ticket. And I am known in my groups for telling people don't vote straight ticket. Like you need to investigate these names and know, and it needs to be a conversation. But again, that's wanting to get people involved in it. How would you go about ensuring that people are at least cursorily aware of the current issues and positions of the various people they're voting on. So one strategy I saw used when we were doing the Democratic um, convention when they were doing the elections, I thought it was a good idea to pull together the candidates that looked more like a team. And that way, when you went in for your particular area, then you would be aware of these are the people that are on your team. But this forces the voter to know if redistricting has jacked up what they thought they were going in to vote for, like you're no longer in a certain person's district. So it puts a little ownership and work on the voter. But those that are running could come together and work together and say, when you, if you're in this district, these are the individuals that you're going to see on your ballot, and these are the individuals that align with the values that I represent and that I believe the constituents represent. Any other superpowers we left out? Yeah, just peace. <laughs> let's do just do a, something peaceful. <laughs> let's just go off the deep end here. Do you think a legislator who had the power to read minds oh, would, that would be, be valuable? Scary. Like I would like one, maybe if we can freeze the mind. Like, I just don't want us to do certain things. So if I came back. Oh, to control people. Yeah. So okay. if I came back and the constituents in the area were like, this is not going to help us, then I would want to be on the floor where I can just tap something. And everybody's mind freeze. They forget that was even a bill. <laughs> mm. A little behind the scenes, you heard some new intro music to this um, riff section. And I put that blame squarely on Jamel or credit if you liked it. 
It's credit, guys. It's credit. But I put that on Jamel. <laughs> she didn't like what we used last time to introduce the news. So she reached out to me, gave me a little homework assignment. She says, you will find some new music to lead us into the main <laughs> section. Gosh. And so I, just to let you know, I spent a good 50 minutes to an hour today. And I bet you got a great selection. Well, obviously, because we just picked one. Okay. Yeah. So we're good with it. I like it. We are good with your choice. Yes. Oh, my choice. <laughs> my choice. Do you see this? I thought this was a partnership. <laughs> With that, we will wrap up this week's episode of Black, yeah. White, Blue in the South. Jamel, it has been a delight as it's always. It's always a pleasure. We started off with the idea of making this a bi-weekly podcast. Yes. Because she and I are both very busy people. We thought bi-weekly was a good pace. But this has become so easy between the two of us, just talking and prepping and, and enjoyable on top of that. Yeah. We might move this to weekly. We so shall stay see. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Again, you can reach us on our email address. Take a look at our show notes for that. Yeah. Until next week, I should have some sort of catchphrase for an ending line. <laughs> but so, we don't. We'll, we'll just call this fill in the blanks. Okay. And next time, we will have an ending phrase. Maybe. <laughs> Is that an ending phrase? Maybe. 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 <laughs> The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023, all rights reserved.